All right. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful, sh- joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Thank the Lord for the reading of his word today. What a joy it is for Becky and I to get to be back at Carlton Landing Community Church. Uh, This is one of our favorite places on earth, and it's because of people like uh, you. This is uh, my second time to preach here in uh, the new building, but my first time, the first time for my wife to worship here, and we both say the same thing today when we look around, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. And it's also a special blessing because um, uh, this is the first time I get to preach with your pastor here. And I know you're enjoying coming up on one year around Labor Day, Pastor Cole and Miss Laura and the precious one and uh, the Easter baby. And uh, it's just a a high honor to come alongside of uh, uh, the pastor and to preach the word Today, if you are visiting here today, and really nobody visits, you're a visitor when you come to Carlton Landing Community Church, you're just a part of the congregation, but if you're here for the first time, please come back and hear the pastor, amen. Uh, I, I feel like if you came expecting to hear him, because I've heard him, not in person, but I, I heard him on uh, uh, audio and a recording, even last week's message, and uh If you came expecting to hear him and you have to hear me, it must be like the feeling that Jacob had when the minister said, uh, uh, you may now kiss your bride, and he pulled the veil back, and instead of Rachel, there was Leah there. (laughs) But I read the rest of the story, and it said, but Jacob worked seven more years, and it seemed like it's but a few days because of the great love he had for Rachel. So I hope it's the great love you have for the Lord's Word that has, has brought you here. Now, the pastor um, was so gracious when he invited me to come, and um, he, he left it open-ended. He said he's be- beginning a series on Psalms, and I believe maybe he preached from Psalm 40 last Sunday. And he sa- I said, is there anything, you know, specific you want me to, to uh, tr- try to share? And he just encouraged me to follow the Lord. He said, you can speak from a psalm or uh, anything the Lord leads. So I thought about, you know, what psalm could I um, preach from? that maybe I wouldn't tread too much on one the Lord had put on his heart. I thought about Psalm 119, but since that one has 176 verses in it, I thought, you know what, I'm going to leave that for the pastor. Amen? I thought of Psalm 117, but that one only has two verses, and I thought, you might think I'm a slacker if I came in, and that's all I did was was two verses. So I had almost... uh, 
uh, decided, you know, the Lord may lead me to speak on something else, but I felt a draw to this 126th Psalm. So I hope it fits well with all that the Lord has given to him uh, for the coming days. When you come to Psalm 126, there's something historical that has happened, but we're not sure what it is. There's a captivity that has uh, come to an end and a home going that has happened. Many people believe it is, when we think of captivity, Babylon had to be the Babylonian one. And that was the biggest one, the most severe one that spanned about 70 years. Um, but we're not sure exactly what is going on there. But I have long contended, and even when I tried to, to teach in a preaching class at the small Bible school where I served for, for several years, I, I would tell the students, there's a ready-made three-point outline, almost any text in the Bible. And the reason is because we all have a past, a present, and a future, right? Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus Christ is the same. He's the one that was and is and is to come. And so in this text, we see those three parts very clearly. People that say, we don't need another three-point sermon. Listen, if you've ever heard a 23-pointer, you'll be glad for a three-pointer. Trust me. Amen? Between you and I, some of them have no point at all, okay? I'm talking about some of them I've shared. On the way home, you're saying, what was the, what was the point of that? And so I want, to, uh, I, I, I want to point out when we're focusing here on the past and then the present and then the future, but I see four things in this uh, text that uh, was read in your hearing today, and that is a story and a song and a prayer, and a promise. Those four things, a story and a song, and a prayer, and a promise. This 126th Psalm is called a song of ascent. And it is called that because evidently it was one of a cluster of psalms that are included in God's Word that were sung when the children of Israel would march towards Zion, or would they make their way towards Jerusalem. They would sing while, while they approached that city. And uh, it, it was always a triumphant, uh, a triumphant thing, going up to Jerusalem. It doesn't matter what part of Israel you were in. If you go to Jerusalem, you go up. Now you say, how does that happen? Even in the parable where the certain man, you know, was going up to Jerusalem from Jericho. Jericho is north. And yet, Jerusalem is south, but you go up to Jerusalem. D do you ever listen to people sometime and they, they get their, their directions uh, mixed up and people talk about, well, we got to go up to Texas next week. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't correct them all, but I, sometimes I take great pride in saying, listen, if you're in Oklahoma and you go to Texas, you don't go up. It's always going down to Texas, Right? But then there might be some Kansas people nearby and say, yeah, but you got to go up to, to Kansas. And then, but there's something higher than Kansas. How can that be if wherever you are in the country, you go up to Jerusalem? Because that, that observation is not talking about geography. It's talking about topography. Jerusalem is the highest place above sea level in the nation of Israel and 
I'll just throw this in as maybe the best side note you've ever heard. Um, when Paul said to Agrippa in the book of Acts, he said, this thing was not done in a corner. Isn't it fitting, not just ironic, but fitting that our Lord Jesus, when He purchased salvation for every human being and, and for, for our redemption, He did it in Jerusalem, in the highest place, on a hill, this thing wasn't done in the shadows or a back room somewhere, but in broad daylight, in the highest place, if I be lifted up from the earth, I would draw all men unto me. So this is the song of ascent. I, I know, um, I think the last time I preached uh, for the pastor here, maybe you were on the trip to the Holy Land. Did anybody else go on the Holy Land trip uh, with, uh, okay, Sunday, all right. And I don't know how it was for you, but most of the time, when people travel there, and I've only been once myself, but I was told most of the time you save Jerusalem to the end, to the end of the trip. And there's excitement and there's anticipation and there's all kinds of a, 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 a longing. I remember being on the bus and we had a wonderful tour guide. And you know what he said to him? He, he was, he was a, a, a fine Jewish man. He, he knew the scriptures so well one young man in our group, he, he thought, he said, I think he's a believer. I think he's a believer in Christ. And anyway, somebody said, well, just ask him. And so he went up and he said, Ami, he said, do, do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? And I'll never forget the answer the guide gave. He said, if he comes back, I believe he's the Messiah, okay? <laughs> if he's the one that returns. But Ami told us, he said, as many times as I've taken a tour and a group on, uh, you know, he's done this for many years. He said, I still get excited when we get close to Jerusalem. I still, my heart beats a little faster, and there's something about it when you come through a dark tunnel, and all of a sudden you emerge on the other side, and you're there in the city. So what's going on with, with this psalm, okay? Uh, I said we don't know if it's Babylonian captivity. If you think it's linked with the next psalm, 127, that one's talking about the same thing by the rivers of Babylon. There were a group during the, the captivity, the, the, the people were, uh, were weeping because they remembered Zion and, and, and they had hung their harps on the willow tree. So maybe that's the captivity that's taking place. But verse 1 said, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. This is the story. That they have. Whoever this is talking about has been liberated from captivity. They've been set free and they said, We are among the people, it feels like a dream. Do you ever, have you ever felt the realization that God has been so good to you, what He did for you, what you used to be, and now what you are since you gave your life to Him? Have you ever asked yourself, am I dreaming? Is this really happening to me? Is this really true? My son sent me a, a story recently. It was written by Rick Riley, who I think has written for Sports Illustrated. And Riley's written some books on golf. And he has a new book out. Instead of talking about the pros, just <clears throat> everyday ordinary people. But he talked about a colonel. I believe it was a colonel that uh, fell behind enemy lines during the Vietnam War. And he was taken prisoner. And they tortured him. They put him in a, 
a cage six feet by seven feet, no windows, no lighting, and he stayed there for four years. He lost 75 pounds, obviously beaten, tortured, almost died. How could somebody make it mentally for four years in that kind of captivity? You know what he said he did? He, he somehow got a stick, and it had some length, but it wasn't a heavy stick. He couldn't use it. If, he, if you tried to hit someone with it, it would easily break. But he had the same routine every day. He dreamed, he imagined, he, he, he took himself back to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and he played a round of golf every day. He got up in the morning, and he would go to the first hole, and it's a 400-yard par four. He would hit the first shot, and he knows it's 250 yards. He would count out in measure, and he would walk in that tiny, that tiny cage. He would walk the 250 yards till he got to where his ball was, and he hit the second shot. And so as you, that, that took a good part of his day, playing 18 holes like that. Now, one good thing about that, you can shoot whatever score you want to, right? Okay, so he probably didn't have any bad days on the links, but, but he did that. And then after his round of golf, he, he pictured driving in his car back home. And he'd stop and drop off the cleaners and he'd stop and get something at the bakery and he would stop at the hardware store and a different one every day. And he just went over this over and over again for four years until he was released. And when he was released from prison, they had a big day for him in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And a parade. And he said it didn't really hit him until he stood up. In front of the crowd. And he could see the, the golf pro. And he could see the baker. And he could see the man at the hardware store. And he, he was overwhelmed. He couldn't even speak. But he said, I just want to thank you for saving my life. He said, you saved my life. Now think about that. I, I'd like to be able, if I could ask anything to that man, I would say to him. I would say, when you stood before that group in Hattiesburg, when you were driving in the car on the parade route, did you ever stop and think, is this really happening? Am I really here? Or is this just a dream? Oh, it's too good to be true, to be home. Can you imagine 70 years in Babylonian captivity? But all of a sudden, you're free. Wow, what a story. We were like those that dreamed. And then in verse 2 and 3, we learn... They didn't just have a story, they had a song. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And then said they among the heathen, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. The heathen, the unbelieving nations, the surrounding peoples, they watched them, they observed them, and they could hear them laughing, and they could hear them singing. Wow. They opened their mouths. They said, is this a dream? And they opened their mouths to say something, but all they could do was laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. Wow. Did you ever get tickled over something? I tell you what, you walk up to a group of people, five or six, eight, ten, if they're all laughing pretty soon, <laughs> you just start laughing too. Right? It's contagious. It happens like that. They laughed until they couldn't laugh anymore, and finally their laughter turned to singing. 
And when the heathen nations saw that, they saw him laughing. They heard him singing. They didn't think they were crazy. They didn't think they were mad. You know what it said? They, they said, their God must have done something great for them. And then finally, when they could say something, they echoed it. They said, yes, our God has done something great for us, and he has made us glad. I tell you what, as the redeemed people of God that have come out of the captivity of sin and bondage of all kinds, you and I above all people ought to be the happiest people on the earth. Where is the laughter? Where is the joy? Where is the singing? Where is the shouting? How did, how did the narrative get flipped? How did we become so angry? How is it that the unbelieving world thinks we're the people of hate? Oh, God, help us to get our laugh back and our song back and our joy back that this world doesn't have, that they can observe us and say, God must have done something great for them. So they have a story and they have a song. The unbelieving world knows it. Best of all, they know it. God has made us glad. But look what happens in verse 4. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in, in the south. Some translations give the name of the, the, the body of water the, where, where the streams that he had in mind in the southern part of the, uh, of the country. Notice this isn't a reflection in the past. This is in the present. This is a prayer and a petition in the present. Turn again our hearts. Turn again, deliver again from captivity. Do it, Lord, again. That's present tense. What do you do when the present tense doesn't match the past tense? If you look in the past, we've got joy and victory and gratitude and gladness for what he's done. But in the present, evidently there's another captivity or some people that are still not set free or people that are dried up. He talked about like, like the riverbeds there in the south. He said, oh Lord, rain upon them again. It would be like, the flash, like a flash flood. Um, did, did, did any of you all get any rain the other day when it rained for a little while? I know it did in Oklahoma City and Yukon and Bethany and really everywhere in the metro area except Norman where we live. I'm not bitter. I'm just wondering. I went out in the backyard. I even did a little rain dance. That didn't work. But we were watching the weather. And it, I mean, in a, in a short amount of time, one inch of rain downtown Oklahoma City. Two inches in Yukon. Just, you know what I'm talking about. Floods quickly. That's the petition here. That's the prayer. Do it again, Lord. Do it like you did for us. Do it again. All of a sudden, if you like the analogy of the flash flood, that's the way it was after 70 years. The children of Israel, they're in captivity in Babylon. The whole city is empty. But all of a sudden, people are flooding Jerusalem again. God's doing it again. And the prayer, the prayer is, Lord, you did it once. Do it again. It's a key word, the word again. It's a, it's a faith building. Nothing builds faith as much as being able to look back to a past experience and recognize the greatness and the goodness of God. So they have a story. They have a song. They've got a prayer. 
And now comes the promise. And you'll have to look a long time in literature, secular or sacred, holy literature, to find a greater promise than this. They that sow in tears will reap in joy. And he that goes forth with weeping and bearing the precious seed in his bag shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. They that sow in tears will reap in joy. Spurgeon pictured a sower sowing, and while he's dropping one seed at a time, the tears are also falling from his eyes. So he said, he drops a seed, and he drops a tear. And he drops a seed, and he drops a tear. Why would a sower be crying? There's any number of reasons why a sower would cry. All I know is the promise here, they that sow in tears are going to reap in joy. How many of you know tears are a language that God understands? When nothing else we say can get through, tears is a language that God speaks. You sow in in tears, the promise is to reap in joy. What's the the shortest uh, verse in the Bible? We all know that. Jesus wept. When, when was that stated? That was at the tomb of Lazarus, right? That's when his dear friend had died and said, where have you laid him? And Mary and Martha took him out there and, and Jesus wept. Jesus cried. People say, why did Jesus weep? I, I, I had students that would say, do you think he was weeping tears of joy in anticipation of what he was getting ready to do? <clears throat> Sounds like a reach to me. They said, is, he, is it tears of disappointment because they didn't have faith or something? And I think the text seems to indicate the reason that he wept. He looked on the left and there was Mary and he looked on the right and there was Martha and he saw their suffering and he entered into them, into the, the empathy with them. And if he really is Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means if he wept with them, then he'll weep with us now. But that was not the only time Jesus wept. There was another time he wept. Do you remember when he looked over, what, the city of Jerusalem? And he cried. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I would have gathered you unto myself, even like a a chicken gathering together her brood, but, but you would not come. The psalmist said, if you'll sow in tears, you'll reap in Joy. And then we come to that last verse, and I want to make the application, hopefully, for the message here. Notice verse 5 is talking about plural. They, they that sow in tears. That's promise for everybody. They that sow in tears will reap in joy. But then it gets singular in verse 6. He or she, an individual, he that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, Doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The idea of bringing the sheaves. Anybody remember the old, old hymn? Do you remember when it first came out? I'm tricking you here because it was written in like 1850. So you probably don't remember when it topped the charts early there. 
But I remember hearing that as a boy sometimes, sowing in the morning, sowing in the evening, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And I was a city boy, not a farm boy, and I didn't understand what was that all, what's that all about. But I understand, looking at it in the passage now, it's talking about something that we're all very familiar with. It's the idea of having something to give back to the master at the end of the harvest. And if you can connect the dots, I've, I've, I've tried, it's, uh, but all that you could connect the dots to see from the story to the song to the prayer, now to the promise. The promise is for some of us that we would, uh, we would be able to rescue the lost, that we would be able to help open doors and set people that are captive free by introducing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. Noel Shaw was the man that wrote that song, um, Bringing in the Sheaves. He, it was the most famous song that he wrote. He lived to be about 40, 44 years old, and then he died on a, in a train wreck, actually. But his last words that he supposedly uh, said to someone before he died was, it's a grand thing, it's the grandest thing to be able to rally people to the cross of Christ. So this last verse is the soul winner's mantra. And I, I leave you with, with this thought and the application very much for every one of us. Just like the pastor last week in that great message from Psalm 40 he got to the end of it and he reminded us, we all have a testimony, right? We have a testimony of what the Lord has done for us and we must share it. So the six parts to that, that last verse, the soul winner is the one that goes. He said, he that goes, she that goes, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Go out into highways and hedges, compel them to come in. The soul winner is not the one that talks about going, thinks about going, plans on going. The soul winner is the one that goes. Jesus told a story one time. He said a father had two sons. He told them both to work in the field. One of them said that he would, but he didn't. The other one said that he wouldn't, but he did. He said, which one did the will of the father? And the answer came back, it's the one that did it. Bottom line, final analysis, it's the one that goes. He that goes with weeping. And this is the, the tears that he just talked about in verse 5. You may not have tears always in your eyes, but there must always be tears in our heart for those who, who remain captive. But he said, if you'll go and you'll weep, weep for the lost, weep for the world and the condition. If you'll go and weep and bear the precious seed. I think in another parable in Luke 8 and 11, Jesus said the seed is the word of God. If you'll go and you'll weep and you'll scatter the seed, he said, doubtless, without a doubt, you'll come back. You know what that doubtless means? That means you can do this. I can do this. We can be a success at this. Paul said it this way. He said, I made all things to all men. That I might by all means save some. 
I thought, sure, he was going to say all. He said three alls. I thought he was going to say four alls. I made all things to all men that I might by all means save. But he didn't say all, but he said some. Because Paul knew we can't save everybody, but we can save somebody. And the fact that we can't save them all should not hinder us from striving to save some. If you'll go and weep and scatter the seed, without a doubt, you'll come again with rejoicing. I went looking one time for the happiest people in the Bible. I said, maybe three is a good number. Who's the three happiest people in the Bible? I found all three of them in the same chapter. It was a shepherd that found a sheep and a woman that found her coin and a father that welcomed back a prodigal son. They had more joy and happiness and rejoicing than anybody else. And that will put the joy and rejoicing back for us too when we go on this mission. And then finally he said, bringing their sheaves with him. Must I go and empty-handed stand before the Lord with nothing to present to him? Don't you want to stand before him at the last day? Here's my sheaves. It's not going to impress the Lord. I really don't believe when I stand before him. He's not going to be impressed by my academic accomplishments, my degree or degrees or what people call me or places I've been or where I've spoken. That's not going to, that's not going to impress him. What if the Lord says, who'd you bring with you? Wouldn't it be wonderful to say, Lord, here's Tom. I talked to him one day at the, at the store, and he, he believed on you and trusted you, and he's been living for you ever since. Here's Karen. Here's Josh. Here's Emily. Lived on the street with them. They were the waitress, taxi driver, cousin, family member. Don't you want to have somebody when you stand before him say, I went and I wept and I scattered the seed and you kept your word, Lord, without a doubt. I've come back rejoicing and here's my sheaves. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you today for your, your word. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you, Lord, that in the great songbook that you gave us, the book of Psalms. Lord, we're so grateful you included number 126. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we all have a story. We all have a song. We all, Lord, need to have this prayer. And with your help, Lord, we're going to embrace a promise to live for you. Let our lives be characterized, characterized by joy, laughter, Shouting, singing, oh, the gladness that you've placed within our heart. Let everyone under the sound of my voice make certain that they know that they belong to you. And Lord, give us that desire. We who've been set free from captivity, give us a desire to see you do it again. Use us for your glory, we pray. Bless this church all of its leaders, everyone under the sound of my voice, in your name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together.